Hello everyone, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian and diaspora and religions reporter Judah Are Gross. Hello to you both. Hi Amanda. Hey Amanda. We will open with an update on Wednesday's bombings in Jerusalem. We'll speak about more violence in Hebron and how the chief rabbi would change the law of return. But first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Manny, let's start with you. Unfortunately, a second victim from Wednesday's attacks succumbed to his injuries yesterday. The 50-year-old immigrant from Ethiopia, Tadese Tashume Ben Maada, came 21 years ago, and he leaves behind a wife and six children. What updates do you have for us on the manhunt? The manhunt, uh, as it seems right now, is not uh, really progressing anywhere. Um, we've seen a lot of assessments made by security officials uh, regarding um, where the the potential attackers are from or who was involved in planning it, uh, but very little has uh, really progressed with with uh, any arrests or even any suspects potentially connected to the case. Uh, so right now, uh, it seems quite stalled with with the search, uh, but security forces are on very high alert. Uh, potentially for any further attacks, maybe by the same cell or by other uh, potential terror cells. We definitely saw the high alert yesterday when the police shut down the main entrance to Jerusalem after a suspected pipe bomb was found near the Cords Bridge. What happened with this? In the end, it wasn't a bomb, correct? Right. So it was a Saturday morning, so it wasn't particularly busy um, in the area, but um, at the Cords Bridge, the iconic uh, bridge at the entrance to Jerusalem, uh, police patrols found a small item which looked like a, a pipe bomb uh, just under the bridge in a on the sidewalk. And uh, they closed off the area for for a few hours and took the device uh, for further evaluation. And they later found that it it was not a a bomb, but it just highlights the 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 high alert that police have right now and searching for all these suspicious items all over the city and potentially um, potentially another another attack that they're looking for. Okay, on Friday, the IDF suspended two soldiers who physically assaulted and taunted left-wing activists in Hebron. This is, of course, the latest in a series of incidents involving the Givati Infantry Brigade in the West Bank city. What happened in this incident? So on Friday, a group of um, 
activists uh, affiliated or being guided by the Breaking the Silence group. It's a uh, non-governmental organization that collects and uh, publicizes uh, mostly anonymous testimonies of former combat soldiers about uh, human rights violations in the West Bank uh, and, in, and against Palestinians in general. So they were leading this tour. And this tour was uh, going on in Hebron because a week earlier uh, there were clashes in Hebron. I believe we mentioned it on the podcast um, between uh, visiting Jewish worshippers and local Palestinians uh, during this annual pilgrimage. So this group showed up a week later as a kind of a visit of solidarity. It's unclear what sort of instigated this um, this kind of clash between the between the uh, this this group and the soldiers. But in footage, we saw that soldiers were trying to detain um, one of these activists, uh, one of the guides, and. At some point, he tries to walk away, and then the soldier, one of the soldiers, uh, grabs the man, throws him to the ground, and then punches him in the face. Um, and then in another clip, we can see a soldier from the same team uh, boasting about uh, Itamar Bengvir, the uh, appointed national security minister who will be in charge of the police. And the soldier tells one of the activists that... Uh, uh, the fun is over, and Bengvir will come and sort things out over here, and uh, saying things which soldiers uh, shouldn't shouldn't be saying to to people really, because soldiers are told not to taunt people or, or even get political. So uh, the IDF suspended the two soldiers: the one who was uh, seen on camera uh, talking about Bengvir, and the one who was seen uh, punching uh, a man. And like I said, this comes kind of uh, following a few incidents involving the same uh, unit in Hebron. Um, we had last week a soldier cursing a another Break in the Silence member, and uh, a week before that we had a soldier assaulting a Palestinian man and two other soldiers, uh, one, one of them was an officer, uh, standing by and watching and not getting involved. Uh, so following all of this, the, the chief of staff published a missive to soldiers, saying that soldiers should not use violence uh, and not use force when not necessary. I would say it's more of a problem in Hebron than it is a problem with Givati, because uh, in Hebron, the soldiers stationed there need to constantly... Uh, there's a lot of friction with, with, with the residents, both Jewish uh, and Palestinians, and also with the visiting activists. So the soldiers stationed there are almost like police, and they're not really trained to be police. So there has been a lot of um, discussion and arguments about whether or not uh, more trained professional police should be there involved in uh, guarding civilians and preventing friction between the sides. Right-wing uh, politicians and officials like to say that uh, these activists um, sort of taunt the soldiers and cause them to react. It's not really seen on the video, but either way, there's been a lot of talk that police should be dealing with these sort of situations instead of soldiers. Now, perhaps somewhat chillingly to me, at least, one of the soldiers had a patch on the back of his military vest that read, one shot, one kill, no remorse, I decide. And to me, this points to a real lack of discipline, or is am I blowing that out of proportion? No, no, not at all. There was a problem in the army, uh, it's been a problem for a few years, I think, where soldiers like to put extra patches on their, uh, on their equipment, things that aren't approved by army regulations. So just to be clear, army regulations say that you can only have an Israeli flag or your military unit, uh, and that's as far as it really goes. 
so a couple of years ago, soldiers always had these uh, Punisher logos from the uh, comic book series, and the army tried to put a stop to it. And I'm not sure how effective it's been. I've definitely seen it here and here and there. Uh, and then this one is just this other weird patch, which, like you said, says one shot, one kill, no remorse. I decide. Uh, and definitely that highlights that whoever's in charge of these soldiers, uh, specifically this unit, um, is not. Is well, really, is not in charge because we've seen uh, three separate incidents of uh, soldiers uh, going against army regulations, both by acting violently towards uh, people who it was unnecessary to be to, to use force against them, and then also carrying these uh, patches which are against army regulations, or talking about a future minister in a way which is definitely against army regulations. So um, the the IDF uh, is really investigating the soldiers themselves right now and not their commanders. But we'll see, perhaps after a, a longer investigation into these uh, into these incidents, if they put them together and then say, like, the, you know, the, the battalion commander or the brigade commander in this case is, you know, at fault for not properly disciplining his soldiers then, or his or the disciplining the officers to correctly discipline the soldiers. But we'll have to see. Uh, right now, the army is just trying to tell soldiers... Um, to to you know better control themselves and not act uh, with force when when not necessary. Okay, Manny, thanks for bringing these stories forward. We'll go to a short break now. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4 by 4 Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Judah, turning to you, early last week, Chief Rabbi David Lau asked the incoming government to revoke the so-called grandfather clause from the law of return, which grants Israeli citizenship to anyone with at least one Jewish grandparent who does not practice another religion. Now, this has been a real cornerstone of the law of return, obviously, that has echoes of the Nuremberg laws. So how high do you put the chances of an amendment to this? 
So uh, David, you know, David Lau um, was sort of the latest person to to weigh in on this. This has been a, a major topic of conversation for the past few weeks, um, especially among people who deal with sort of Israel diaspora issues. Um, because the uh, Religious Zionism Party made this uh, a coalition demand, and they were sort of joined in this by uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties, getting rid of this uh, so-called grandchild clause. Um, and their argument is that it is leading to, or, to more and more people who are not Jewish according to Jewish law, um, make, you know, making Aliyah immigrating to Israel. Um, and this has a lot of issues, especially in a country like Israel that doesn't have a separation of church and state. So, you know, it makes th those people who come to Israel who aren't considered Jewish have a really hard time getting married, getting buried in cemeteries, etc. Um, and so this has been brought up sort of a, a number of times. Um, and now sort of the odd thing is that this is being brought up by the chief rabbi, who's really not supposed to weigh in on political issues. And this is very much a political issue. This issue has sparked a lot of interest, especially among um, international Jewish groups. Um, the Conference of Presidents, the head of the Conference of Presidents, William Daroff, has said he's very concerned about it, referring to the law of return as a, a bedrock of Zionism. Um, the Jewish Agency, which also is sort of very much not political, has also sort of weighed in um, somewhat, you know, circumspectly and carefully to say that we shouldn't be, you know, Israel, the Israeli government shouldn't be sort of rocking the boat and causing a breakdown in ties between Israel and the diaspora. Um, this is something that's going to, that if it passes, is going to disproportionately affect um, Jews from the former, so you know, people from the former Soviet Union. Um, it's sort of, it's still an issue, but it's less of an issue for people from North America or, or you know, Western Europe. It's more of an issue in Eastern Europe, um, where there was because of communism, sort of a lot more um, intermarriage and things like that. Um, and so the chances of this passing are, are not entirely clear. Right, right now, it's uh, it's not really being discussed in overly concrete terms. It's sort of canceling the grandchild clause. Um, but there are a number of other initiatives that are a little bit more specific and get into sort of different ways of handling immigration to Israel. Um, it's This is going to get a lot of pushback from people from the former Soviet Union, and there's about 1.2 million of them uh, in Israel. So, you know, a pretty significant constituency. Um, and sort of some figures that I've seen are something like three quarters of like a, a significant percentage of them are opposed um, to this type of change. So so that's like a pretty significant thing. And a not insignificant number of them vote for the Likud, which is going to be in this government. So the Likud is sort of going to be the one that's going to have to put the kibosh on, um, on this move. Whether or not it goes forward is, you know, in my opinion, a little bit besides the point. This is going to, like, start a discussion. It already has, but this is going to start a discussion about potentially changing the law of return. The law of return, um, sort of as a concept, has been in place since 1950. It's one of the first pieces of legislation that was passed by the Knesset. Um, and then specifically this grandchild clause that really set, you know, who is entitled to Israeli citizenship. The first version of the law just said, you know, a Jew um, and left everything very vague and open to interpretation. And there was lots of, uh, you know, high court hearings and things like that about who falls into this category. And so the actual sort of definitions that we're working with now have been in place since 1970. So like over 50 years now, you know, this has been the law of the land. And there have been concerns raised over it, you know, about it over the years, especially in the early 90s when people start first started started coming over from the former Soviet Union and hadn't necessarily been practicing Judaism widely. Uh, and there was lots of concerns about, you know, 
interim faith marriages and things like that. Um, but now it's certainly on the table and there's some, you know, uh, uh, to a certain extent, this is, it's a bit of an argument over narratives as well about these, you know, influx of non-Jews and, um, sort of these questions over where Israeliness ends and Jewishness begins and how those two things overlap. And those are discussions that sort of no matter what, even if this doesn't result in an actual law change, you know, here under this government, it's certainly going to start those conversations. Okay, speaking of conversations, last week you also spoke with Diaspora Minister Nachman Shai, who is basically just a well of regrets. What are some of his top ones? Um, so, yes, uh, outgoing Diaspora Affairs Minister Nachman Shai. Um, I sat down with him in his in his office, um, sort of just before he's on, on his way out now. There's no one, no one yet has been picked to replace him. There's some talk, but, you know, still unclear. Um, and sort of the main things that he describes as a failure, not his failure necessarily, but, you know, a failure of this outgoing government um, was the Western Wall Compromise, which was never passed, uh, or it was already passed, it was never implemented. Um, the Western Wall Compromise would have given sort of official standing to non-Orthodox streams of Judaism, um, specifically at the egalitarian section of the Western Wall, which is sort of currently under the purview of the chief rabbi of the Western Wall, who is, you know, ultra-Orthodox. Um, and so he sort of saw this, this was the coalition that could have implemented it. There was some pushback at first from within the coalition. And then as the government sort of went on and they were introducing new legislation, there was more and more pushback in general from uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties. And as a result, the, the Western Wall compromise sort of fell by the wayside. And it is extremely unlikely, I don't want to say impossible, it is extremely, extremely unlikely that this current government is going to implement the Western Wall Compromise uh, as it stands today. Um, you know, never say never, but it's not going to happen. Um, you know, and if it happens under another government, you're probably going to see a somewhat weakened version of it. Um, and so the the chance to do that has been and gone. Um, so he sees that as a, a real failure of this government. Um, and then for him personally, he sees it as just... Um, you know, when I asked him, what's your sort of headline? How, how do you feel about your tenure? Uh, his answer was too short, that basically they only just started getting started uh, into learning about the different topics and starting to implement things. Um, and some of the things that he did implement are going to be relatively easy for the incoming government to overturn relatively quickly. Um, you know, there was, in general, I think the to, to use a, a Gen Z term, I think the real change under this government was the vibes. Um, it was not necessarily such a significant change in terms of legislation, in terms of practical changes on the ground. Um, but definitely there was, and I've heard this from, uh, you know, American Jewish leaders as well, there was real sort of conversations and dialogue and a warmth that developed between the Israeli government and American Jewish institutions. Um, and where that goes from here in terms of this government, it's not off to a great start. Um, and uh, depending on who gets named diaspora affairs minister, who's foreign minister, what what actual, you know, if they go forward with changing the law of return, there's also been some other proposals to stop recognizing um, reforming conservative conversions for the purpose of citizenship. You know, that would be a real statement to um 
diaspora jewelry. Uh, I don't know the numbers offhand, but we're talking about, um, if not the plurality, if not the majority of which uh, identify with the reforming conservative movements. Um, so those things can definitely sort of deepen the the strains that are already there. Um, and so Nachman Shai sort of uh, sees the Likud and sees Prime Minister-elect Benjamin Netanyahu as um, sort of the potential savior for um, those ties as being sort of the bulwarks, being the, the obstacle to implementing some of the more radical changes that would alienate diaspora Jewry. And then um, his sort of general pitch is to just, none of this is a burning issue. You know, we've been dealing with these questions of who's Jewish for 2000 years. Uh, it can wait another one. So sort of go slowly, talk to people, you know, don't just rush in based off of uh domestic Israeli political concerns. So uh, we'll see how that goes. When I asked him what, uh, where he sees his future, uh, he jokingly responded, editor of the Times of Israel, which I think is news to our, uh, our boss, David Horowitz, but uh, he's certainly interested in staying in the, in the Jewish world going forward. Um, so we'll see what happens with uh, Dr. Nachman Shai. Judah, thank you for that. And I wish all of our listeners good vibes. Thank you, Manny. Thank you, Judah. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing, and thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.